Hi, welcome to the Reset Mindset Podcast. Reset stands for Responsible Enterprises for Social and Environmental Transformation. We aim to inspire change and to help professionals learn about high-impact innovative collaboration to build a sustainable future. We share stories of companies who have innovative business models through the lens of sustainability. At Reset, we believe that everyone has a responsibility to innovate for a better future, and our aim is to inspire people to be a champion in their organization or start something new. For more information, visit our website at www.resetmindset.org, and please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and share this with your friends. My name is Dr. Vic Wu, and I teach entrepreneurship at Stanford University, and I am your host today. I'm speaking with Kim Lude Chase, co-founder and vice president of marketing and business development at Nugent Surgical. Nugent Surgical was started in 2012 with the vision that we can all design a quality single-use medical device with sustainable materials. Since then, it has won numerous awards, including the inaugural 2015 Circular Economy Awards for the Young Global Leaders of the World Economic Forum and recipient of the California Product Stewardship Council in 2018 Green Arrow Award for Circular Economy Innovation. If you want to learn more about how NewGen Surgical tackles the problem of single-use disposable plastic products in the OR by replacing them with products made with sustainable materials, this episode is for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of Reset Mindset Podcast. I'm excited to be here with Kim, the co-founder of NewGen Surgical. Welcome to the show, Kim. We're so excited to have you. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you so much, Dr. Wu. I want to thank you for having me on this very important podcast, Reset Mindset. And there could be nothing more important right now than social and environmental transformation. So thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to speak. So great to have you. <clears throat> Just uh, to get started, tell, tell us a little bit about your, your professional background and you know your professional and personal life leading up to starting this business. Right. So I had a career in publishing and technology, a full, successful global career. But I like to tell my interns that life never happens in a straight line and the best happens in squiggle lines. And that whole part of my career happened in all the squiggle lines of where I started out wanting to be a doctor and in science. And then I started writing and taking a communication class and producing a play. And all of a sudden, I had this long, successful technology career that squiggled back around full circle and brought me right where we are, doing exactly what I loved as a young child, and that is science and the environment, working on fixing problems. So I don't know if that answered the question. but Of course. Uh, okay. That's um, great. Thanks for sharing your background. Tell us about, you know, we were speaking the other day and you were telling us that you have a twin and how your early childhood had exposed you uh, to the intersection between sustainability and healthcare. Tell us a little bit more about that. Sure, thank you. I think early childhood, one person said we are most who we want to be as young children, young adults. And so that's what I was talking about. This has brought me full circle back to 
a time in my life, having grown up with my twin sister who uh, was born very sick and had one of her lungs removed when I, we were, I think, nine or 10, it was third grade. I was reminded of, this didn't drive me to start New Gen Surgical, but it drives me passionately daily to stick stick in here and, and do this. Uh, but a friend of mine recently sent me a newspaper clipping from 1974. And there I was highlighted for having raised money for the Fresh Air Fund, which I was so passionate about back then. And so I feel like starting New Gen Surgical and given all that I know, having had such a, a global reaching successful career, I've come full circle now to be able to do it about something I'm incredibly passionate about from back in third grade. And having already started hard work back then in raising money and being featured again in the article. And so we were very connected to um, environment and environmental health and uh, pollution at an early, very early age. Mm. You said that your family, actually, your grandmother's from Ireland. And yes. <laughs> tell us about your upbringing and what practices you had embraced as a child and what it, you have brought that experience into uh, New Gen Surgical. Yes. When I thought back when we were looking at some of these um, questions, and I really thought back to that period in my life when it was I was doing everything and practicing and learning so much. My grandmother came here, the only one to come from Ireland in her 20s. So she was quite a pioneer herself. But we practiced a great deal of um, personal family environmentalism of the time, right? So we composted, we recycled. And I remember the first, uh, they had to be some of the first plastic Ziploc bags ever have to come out. And she used to wash them and hang them out. So we learned she had a beautiful kitchen garden and in the summers we 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 grew the food we were going to eat and we picked the best fresh vegetables and we lived that way I think really based on knowing that we didn't have the extras and we placed a high value on what we did have and today I think we've become such a quick and disposable society particularly and most alarmingly with the deluge of single-use plastic across all industries across we've moved all industries. far away from the way in which people were so connected to placing value on what they already have. Mm, indeed, indeed. And I think that has unfortunately put us in today's predicament of not being able to deal with all the plastics that uh, uh, are polluting our oceans and landfills all around us. Well, um, tell us, yeah, tell us a little bit about why you started New Gen Surgical with your husband, Rob. Uh, I, I think it's a great story. So, yeah. <laughs> You know, because we had these big careers, we 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 were quite brave, I think, starting a, a company to disrupt such a giant industry um, at the age, you know, that we decided to do this. But we were at a crossroads, really, deciding what we wanted to do in the future. We had had blessed with a third son very late, you know, mid mid late forties, and this caused us to kind of sit and take stock of, okay, what, where do we want our life to look like kind of kind of thing? We already had these mm -hmm. huge career, careers behind us. So, and Rob had just finished a sustainability-focused MBA, and we had a company, Pacific Cardiac Solutions, together at this time. And so we sat down at dinner, and I had some other ideas, of course, probably based on my background, envisioning this kitchen garden, and I wanted to uh, 
you know, grow some, some crops and start a business with bees were my issue at the time, you know, because we are having problems with the, uh, the bee population, which is mm-hmm. also a critical indication of the collapse of our ecosystem based on so many of the industrial practices, actually that circle back around to plastic. But mm. um, anyway, so we sat at dinner and we decided absolutely that was the way we were going to go. Healthcare. It's massive. We can do something about it. We know about it. And it's a polluting industry. Hippocratic oath is first do no harm. So, and that means if we have the possibility of designing products that in themselves don't harm the planet and the environment, we should, we should be doing that. So right then and there at dinner, I designed our name and logo on a napkin at the dinner table. Proverbial napkin. (laughs) Yes. And it really was. You hear you hear people say that, but it really does happen that way, especially for people who have um, so ideas. You you take mm. whatever you have around you and you jot them down, you write them down. And and for me, coming from marketing and being a communicator and a writer, I have to visualize everything. Mm. So we went home with that napkin, and we're so excited about it. And the napkin hangs up. Um, it's on one of our mirrors. The kids put it up there. I don't know. That's great. So, so you still yeah. have that napkin. Of course. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> well, uh, for our listeners who are not familiar with the problem you're trying to solve or the size of it, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, equipment and the OR and what usually happens to it? And this, mm-hmm. what is the problem you're trying to solve and how have you gone about doing it? Your five phase development, all that is mm-hmm. so interesting. But for listeners who don't know much about this um, industry, it might be good for us. Healthcare is, it's a tough industry to talk about too and to disrupt because healthcare, what's its number one job? Get people healthy and save lives. So now how do we do that sustainably? And so how do you disrupt that? Because you don't want to disrupt the flow of what healthcare is really meant, to, you know, ultimately to do. So can we do all of that with healthier for the planet products, I call them. So you figure there's 6,000 hospitals and I think there's 3.36.5 million procedures per year. New gen surgical products are used. Yes. And new gen surgical products are used in every procedure. They can be. Their product category is in every procedure. So that means the impact can be huge because 85% uh, of equipment used in the OR, used in healthcare, is plastic. And what Mm. happens with single-use plastic is it's thrown away because it has biocontamination, so it's, it's thrown away. And there are different waste streams, so I won't get into all of that because that could be a whole uh, podcast in itself. Anyway, so the whole first Is there tree- recycling at uh, the OR? Well, okay. So recycling, again, I would love to do a whole podcast on that. Recycling- <laughs> we'll do a follow-up podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so recycling in general is a good idea, but it's not working. So, and in the OR, you can, once a, these are sterile packs, once they're opened, you can't recycle and use anything that's unused because it's already been in this field in this OR. So I'm trying to think of anything. They do reprocessing, which is taking a single use device and reusing it two or three times, which is saving, has great environmental savings. What else are they doing with recycling? 
I just don't think recycling is something that works, you know, in the OR, so especially in the OR, anything you, you open out of the sterile packs has to be discarded somehow. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And the products we focus on are bio contaminated. So they're needle counters, they're surgical staplers, they're going to be thrown away. So what we thought was instead of it being plastic, because having had a company, Pacific Cardiac Solutions, we had many customers that we worked closely with, and everyone was aware of this plastic um, waste problem in the OR. It accounts for uh, the largest uh, footprint in the hospital as far as waste. So we set out, and it took two years, um, looking for materials. You know, we start set out with a question, can we find a material that can be suitable for such a clinical and regulated space as the mm. OR? Um, and that took us two years. It was a two-year journey because there are so many different materials. And we ended on bagasse which is the end um, result of the sugarcane harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had tried bamboo. And at one point, we even tried a new foam being made by mushrooms. You know, there's always some new innovation coming out in the green, sustainable materials world. But the one thing that was important to us with Bagasse is that it's considered a regenerative agricultural product. So they're not growing the Bagasse to make the plastic. And they're not um, using agricultural products to make what are some people are making bioplastic, you know, today. And one in nine people in the world goes to bed hungry. So I didn't want to do anything. I wanted to do something really circular, take a waste mm-hmm. product and see if we could make it a clinical product because we have to go through a battery of tests and clinical trials, biocompatibility, cytotoxicity, can it be sterilized? And after sterilization, what material would hold up like plastic? I mean, plastic mm. has a place in a lot of advances that were made in medicine. It's the problem with plastic is like everything else. We overdid it. Mm. There's too much single use. We made things just so everything was easy. You know, just right. scoop all the stuff and throw it away. But we know there's no away. Plastic is here forever. And one of the things. Now we know. <laughs> well, now we know. But now we know that plastic you had mentioned even in your opening, you know, it's in the ocean. But that's that's a part of the story. It's a very small part of the plastic story. You know, it's it's we we're each eating a credit card's worth of plastic a week. Plastic is found in babies placenta and Mm -hmm. babies um, umbilical cord It's now been found on the top of Everest. And that's post-plastic. So that's plastic after we've tossed and thrown it away. But in making plastic, there's 148 chemicals of concern. And today we have, you know, we all focus on social equity. This is a big topic. We want to do things that are better for people, planet, Mm -hmm. communities, ourselves, our children, the future. Many of these industrial sites are in what we call cancer alleys where people already have, you know, health inequities, a lack of health insurance, lower income, you know, they can't deal with the health um, issues that are dealt with them with their polluted water and Mm -hmm. air um, around them. So this really is uh, plastic at every part of its life cycle has a direct effect on health, people, planet, community. 
And so, but it does have its place as a durable. It has properties that we all liked for a long time, right? Right. And that's why we focus on the things that we can take and have 100% efficacy. We're not Mm going to go ahead and change a life-saving tracheal tube, you know, uh, from, from, from plastic. Okay. Because plastic's working in that capacity. There's nothing new yet that would, that would change that. But Bagasse has the ability, we've been able to take Bagasse and change out um, things like basins and bowls and handles and the needle counter, which is um, the size of a, um, a playing, you know, a card deck. Um, So Tell me a little bit more about the stapler. You said that your first product was a skin stapler. Mm -hmm. And tell us about uh, what was used before was plastic and it's always single use. Is that why you targeted that product as your first product to be um, disrupting the OR? Thank you. Very, that's an excellent question. So we chose the surgical skin stapler because we were going to, um, at that point, stick within a category, a class one medical devices. There's class one, two, and three. And one is, um, so, um, but it's the most complicated product in that category. So Mm. if we could do it for that, we can do basins and bowls <laughs> and the millions of other products in that category. I see. So um, the stapler helped us really with our foundation, foundational principle by which we now, our company operates within. And we call it smart sustainable design. That we're not going to be able to take every product and design entirely out of plastic. So the skin stapler, we ended up redesigning the handle and the lever. And that was a 60% elimination of plastic, which is a lot when it comes to a skin stapler. Does that answer your question? Yes. And you said some of your other products are 100% elimination of um, plastic. What, what? Can you tell us about your other products and how that's going in terms of sales and um, you know whether you've had a lot of success going into regional hospital chains or um, mm-hmm. conglomerates to be able to sell this into the OR? Because I would imagine it is not an easy sale to speak with the <laughs> procurement officer who are very uh, conservative, shall we say? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yes, we started with the skin stapler. We have six product lines. I think we're about to release four additional product lines, and those have um, expansions out to 29, you know, different um, versions of those um, product lines. So they go from 60% elimination of plastic all the way to 100%, which are are surgical packaging trays. And surgical packaging trays are an interesting item because we'll have someone like a procurement manager, they're buying these trays, they're polystyrene right now. The impact for that one product change across the whole category, even with one of the largest distributors, if you can imagine it was a football field, knee deep per year of trays. Now think about how thin a tray is. That's such a huge impact we can have across the industry. But it hasn't been easy as far as... um, Selling sustainable products in healthcare, um, it takes a certain approach and a multi-level approach. So some of the customers we work with, I call them domino accounts because you work really hard on the one and then 
the whole system will buy that. And other systems, you have to sell to each of the hospitals. So mm-hmm. we have customers, large California customers. You know, we have Dignity Health, Common Spirit, Kaiser, Sutter Health, um, and they each have a different sales cycle. But of course. they all have in common one thing, and that is a climate champion. Um, someone who's oh, focused interesting. On, yes. So someone who's focused on sustainability, community health, mm-hmm. partnerships, uh, lowering their carbon footprint. When we first started, people were talking about um, sustainability, right? Mm-hmm. Then we all moved on to kind of plastic pollution. That was the thing that procurement managers and, you know, we're talking about, and now it's all about carbon footprint, you know, because we do have this, uh, these pushes either with the Paris Agreement or the legislation just passed in California to go to net zero carbon or lower your carbon footprint. Well, every single product each one of us buys has a built-in carbon, I hate to say footprint because that was a coined phrase by, I think, one of the companies in the fossil fuel industry, <laughs> but um for lack of a better term right now, uh, each product has built-in carbon, and we've been able to work with leading environmental scientists to measure and calculate per product what the benefit is of using our product versus plastic in terms not only of the plastic pollution and waste, but the carbon. And that's what hospitals are really interested in uh, because we do need, I think it's by... 2030 or 40, we're looking for a 40% reduction in carbon. And the only way to get there or to net zero, which is the other thing people are talking about, is to take a look at this category, which is considered and named scope three carbon. And that's the built-in carbon in products. The World Economic Forum just put out a great guide to net zero. And one of their top recommendations is across all industries, we need to redesign with better materials, mm-hmm. period. So period. That it's, you know, because you're going to have the bigger, you, you hear, you know, maybe we're going to pass this infrastructure bill, but you hear about the bigger projects, but these are five and 10 years. It's too late. We do need to do those, but today we can take action today by purchasing better products. And if we had enough companies, thousands of companies coming up with innovative ideas, especially ideas that are using waste from one industry um, and making products out of them, you're achieving a true circular economy. You're taking waste and you're creating a useful product with it. And then that product can one day either biodegrade, depending on where it's going. Some hospitals are even doing some composting. So of your staplers. Well, they can take or, or the hand, you, yes, they the can handles. take the handle off, and then they could put the other piece has to go into the sharp spin. There's a very um, regulated stream for sharps waste. I see. Um, the other question that comes to mind is, as you are tackling at the problems at the intersection of healthcare and sustainability, have you come across a lot of challenges, whether business or material? or other factors that slows down our ability to contribute to the solution? Well, we've come up against many challenges. We are disrupting without 
any pun intended, a well-oiled <laughs> machine, okay? So we're up against not only the fossil fuel and plastic industries, right? But also there are three or four major distributors that do all of the surgical sterile packs in the United States. Mm. So even if you, we've been working with one customer for over four years. So even if you get a buy-in from the, the hospital, then you have to knock down the wall or open the gate with the distributor. Then you, you know, then you get down to the procurement manager and they're all about, and we're all forced. And we saw during the COVID crisis, what we paid for being forced to a global supply chain based mostly in China, where mm. plastic is pennies. It really costs pennies. But I try to ask people, what is the total cost of ownership? How much are we paying for with the pollution and ill health of the planet and people and communities? So what what's the what are we really paying for that? And are you willing to pay a few more pennies? to have it be plant-based and compostable. So that's been a challenge for sure. If you get to procurement managers who really are just calculating money, you know, just mm -hmm. what is this cost versus that cost? Well, what is the cost to health? And yes. at some point, we all have to really think about that. I was really um, inspired when we met a new title out there at hospitals, and it's the medical director for the environment. And I mean, how really is that? Yes. I love that title. I know. And so the other day we had a meeting and he said, you know, we're just not going to reach carbon neutral for free. And that's exactly right. So the challenge we've had, we, we you know, we started out Made in America. I don't know if you want to hear about this part of our story. Yes, but of course. Uh, that was really important to me. And but guess what happened? We were five times the price. And not a mm -hmm. single hospital was in on that. So we, I felt really forced to be where the billion dollar companies are. And they're mm -hmm. making their products, you know, with global supply chain overseas. And so we were forced at a great expense uh, to transfer manufacturing. And so that was a challenge for us. And then, of course, we were hit with the tariffs and then COVID surgical mm -hmm. shutdown, other challenges, which I tend to call dark tunnels. And I call them tunnels because we got through them, you know. And they were just a little dark. And um, so we are now working very hard to bring the manufacturing back to America. Um, and I think that's important, not only for what we saw with the COVID supply chain problems, with everything being dependent upon one supply chain, people were running out of products, other people couldn't get things. And so we need to have a diverse um, supply chain. And I think we need to start investing in America and Americans' businesses again uh, mm -hmm. for manufacturing. Uh, we can do it. Excellent. Tell me a little bit about this change big impact uh, sure. motto that I see on your website. <laughs> I right. think it's, it's all of our duty to be able to make small changes to, to create big impact. But it sounds to me the space you're playing in and what you have targeted is scalable, is a scalable business. Yes. So therefore, it will have the large impact after doing the research and development and all the, the conquering all the challenges you've been through the last couple of years. So yes, tell us about the small change, big impact. That um, So that's what you hope for, right? You want a scalable solution 
that can have the largest um, impact. So being the creative marketing side of you know the business, I drive around with these ideas. How can we visualize what this is? That this small product will have a big impact. And that's part of our calculator. So the small change, big impact, it's a program that each of our customers becomes a part of. And it's a calculation for measuring their meaningful impact the products are having over time. We send out a monthly report and one of our customers, for instance, is using a credit card, I mean, not a credit card, a card deck size product. That's that's what they changed across their system. Mm-hmm. And in less than, I think it's been about two years, under three years, I think it's 12 tons of plastic and 18 metric tons of carbon that they've eliminated wow. from their supply chain. And that's a small change, big mm-hmm. impact. We, mm-hmm. um, we can and do reason this. reason for change. Yes. So Small Change Big Impact has been a great driver program, you know, for our customers who definitely, if they're going to invest in change, because change isn't just about money. It's also about their staff using new products and getting behind it. So if you could show them on a monthly basis the meaningful impact they're having, everyone gets excited. We have hospitals call us and say, can you send us some of those posters? They put them up in the lunchroom and their nurses and their perioperative staff, they just love that this is what they're doing. And in the future, we have such a shortage of healthcare workers and nurses, my sister's a nurse. Um, And the younger generations, boy, they want to be involved and work for companies that have a mission that they can get behind. And so this is something we all need to do. I love that, as you may see on our website, that circular economy or circularity is the first pillar. And the second pillar is really incentive structure. And by being able to measure your impact and visually share that information and hold each other accountable uh, is certainly one way to change behavior and drive that change throughout the hospital if that is something um, the community is interested in. It sounds like this medical director for the environment is at the forefront of driving some of these changes and having the visualization at their lunchroom or break room will certainly help in that endeavor. Well, you might be surprised and your listeners might be surprised at how active the healthcare community is in driving climate and social change. Okay, and changes at the hospital. Last March, for instance, you, we, there were 40 million healthcare professionals representing 350 healthcare organizations across the world that signed something called the Health and Recovery for Public Health that is green, resilient, and sustainable. And that's just one initiative. There are many that are going on. So healthcare is very much at the forefront, working with Practice Green Health and Gary Cohen of driving change. They know that first do no harm can also be for themselves and what they're doing. And if they have a better option, they have an obligation to the future and to the health of their patients and themselves to use it. Excellent. It's so encouraging to hear that healthcare has really put 
sustainability in the forefront of one of their priorities. That's wonderful. If I was a young woman hoping to work in this space, and you know, we had a chat last week. You're a mother. You're a wife. You're a co-founder. What kind? I mean, how do you juggle so many different hats? And what if you could just share what your journey was like being a co-founder, raising three boys, having had a big career, and going into this space? You know, you're really uh, disrupting this giant industry. Tell us more about all the hats you've had to play. What has driven you to to show up every day, work your long hours? (laughs) And do what you do. That is so wonderful, Kim. Well, I think as an entrepreneur, everyone who's listening to this podcast knows that at one point you wear every hat, no matter how (laughs) difficult the hat. So true. Okay. Uh, I'm not an engineer at all, but I certainly have had so much input, you know, in that job and running our 3D printer for prototypes, et cetera. So you wear every hat. It's had its typical difficulties any startup and major disruptor has. That has its own challenges. Uh, But what drives us and what I say to our interns and our staff is, uh, is there anything better we could be doing? How exciting it is that we could be at the forefront, at the very tip of something pushing and driving change, disrupting a major industry. Uh, that has been polluting and will continue to pollute for a long time. And that gets everybody excited because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not just coming to work and doing something, you know, Uh, it's doing something that has real meaning. And we're hoping to make changes so that the future generations have vibrant living planet, (laughs) you know, uh, because it's dying right now. If you look around, it's all around us. Uh, We can see it. It's Mm -hmm. um, clear. And then personally, just on the family front, of course, that's been a challenge, you know, being a mom. I have three sons. And even as a woman in business, I mean, we face so many challenges. (laughs) So and it's it's unfortunate, really. It's gotten much better, I think, for women who have families and working. We do have a seat at the table. I tell my interns the best thing that they can do is speak up, use your voice. Mm -hmm. You're important. We need you. But for my own journey through the many chapters, I started at a small newspaper dedicated to uh, women entrepreneurs back in the 80s Yay. because we, we <laughs> needed a small newspaper to talk about what we were doing. And there was a point, especially during COVID, where we lost almost all of our employees. But being a medical device manufacturer, whether we're shipping products or not, you still have to have the key roles because we're FDA regulated. Mm-hmm. We have ISO certification. So I was here seven days a week, a minimum of 10 hours a day. It was a challenge for our family. And I just thank goodness that my three sons just, what happened was they just came together as best friends. <laughs> and um, Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And they know how to take care of themselves and make dinner and clean the house. And I actually think it worked out okay for them. Excellent. What well, sounded like uh, COVID was one of the dark tunnels that you had uh, mentioned before. I love all your metaphors. Because there will be light at the end of that dark tunnel, right? Yes, Um, yes. Uh, COVID, you know, surgeries came to us to a, uh, almost a halt, you know, except for mm -hmm. the absolute life-saving surgeries. And of course, 
right before this happened, we closed some of our largest accounts. I, I work globally and internationally. That's where I had a lot of my career success. And I closed our first international distributor in Australia, one of my favorite countries. And then surgery shut down, like the whole country shut down. And so it was just tunnel after tunnel, really, and just um, of staying afloat, staying mm-hmm. um, alive, knowing that we would get to a point where uh, where we are now, where people will and want to take action. And now we need some uh, legislative you know, activity behind us uh, to help motivate the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can go on and on. So I do apologize. Um, Victoria, because I'm so well, passionate you know about this. So I, I'm learning so much from you. Um, I do have a last question, which is, what is one question I should have asked you and I didn't? Uh, so I think that one question we do get a lot is what you're doing and plastic have anything to do with the climate crisis that we see around us. I, you know, they see plastic pollution and plastic as a whole separate subject and category from climate change and climate crisis, the fires, the droughts, and increasing catastrophic events across the world. Okay. So I'd like to answer that question if I could. Please. Okay. So how I answer that question is pretty much how we almost started this whole conversation with plastic and every part of its life cycle has an effect on the environment right? And that includes carbon and the climate crisis, which has to do with keeping our CO2 emissions below the 1990 levels. Planet is heating up. I saw a graphic yesterday. People don't realize it's a half a percentage of a degree that has a massive catastrophic event. And part of the climate crisis, of course, is total uh, ecological ecosystem collapse. Right. I mean, you see it, right? I see it everywhere. That's I mean, right. We live in Northern California and the climate crisis is drives on, right? We yes. see wildfires. We can name the list of evidence that's very visual and physical in Northern California. But uh, fire, uh, you're right. fire tornadoes, um, 130 degrees in Death Valley last week. And you're mm-hmm. going to see migrations of people, you know, there are going to be a lot of climate refugees that of which Absolutely. will um, really disrupt our economy, our well-being. We're all living a, a, a like you said, an ecosystem of right. which it's not sustainable the way we're living. So if there are products out there that are better for you, better for your children, better for the planet and the environment, and better for the future, one thing I like to say is, is today is um, borrowed from the future, right? So true. Don't we owe it to tomorrow to buy that product? And shouldn't we all be innovating and thinking in this way? Absolutely. And that's why we are interviewing founders of innovative technology such as yours. Kim, it's been such a joy to have you on our show. I learned so much about the, the patterns of life from the squiggle line to, you know, <laughs> running through dark tunnels where there is light at the end of the tunnel, all the way to new, perhaps, titles that I had not heard of within a medical system called the Medical Director of the Environment. 
and how meaningful calculation can really help change behavior and, and consumer patterns. So with that, thank you so much for being on the show. And we look forward to some of the other podcasts that we can do with you that can deep dive into some of the topics we Thanks for listening to the Reset Mindset podcast at the intersection of sustainability and innovation. If you like what we're doing, please follow us on your favorite podcast platform or subscribe. Also, we're always looking for input, so please let us know what you think, who else we should invite to our show, and really anything else you want to share with us. Drop us a line at ask, ask, reset mindset at gmail.com.